Welcome to the St Melitis Organ Restoration Projects Pod Tour. This circular cycling tour is designed to be taken on two wheels, but if you'd rather explore the area on foot or from your sofa following a map, it should work as a documentary in its own right. So sit back and enjoy. If you're joining us on your bike, pedal to the junction of Stroud Green Road and Upper Tollington Park, just opposite Nando's, where Una Gay and Paul Sinclair from Islington Guided Walks are waiting to tell you all about the First World War in Stroud Green. Hello, I'm Una. And I'm Paul, and welcome to our St Melitus Organ Restoration Project Cycle Pod Tour. In a Victorian suburb like Stroud Green, memories of the First World War are all about us if we know where to look. Just up the road on Tollington Park, St Melitus, that church with the big pillars in front, has a secret inside. It's home to a wonderful memorial organ that has recently been restored with help from the National Lottery Heritage Fund. On this tour, we will learn about some of the men commemorated by the organ for their service in the First World War by looking at their homes, their neighbourhoods, and the decisions they faced on the outbreak of war in 1914. Let's start here on the corner of Stroud Green Road and Upper Tollington Park. Look at this placard on top of the street name Stroud Green Road. In 2014, Islington Council commemorated the young men from the borough who had died by recording their names on the streets where they lived. And this plaque has 22 names on it and it's not complete. Look at the ages of the men, one just 19, one 20. And then just look down the road. Here we see the remains of the shopping street over a century old. The tall houses, some with front gardens turned into shops as you see them now. This was a prosperous neighbourhood when it was developed 150 years ago, but even before the outbreak of war, the better off were migrating northwards to newer suburbs. Although the name Stroud Green dates back to the 14th century at least and means marshy ground, the area boomed when the mainline railway to York was built from King's Cross and passed through the new station of Finsbury Park. We will cycle along Upper Tollington Park now towards the railway bridge, but don't go very far. Stop across the road from 30 Upper Tollington Park. In the 1900s, St Melitus was not a Catholic church. It was a congregational church called New Court. It dates back to the 17th century, when many people wanted to leave the Church of England and create their own chapels. We know them as dissenters. New Court relocated to Stroud Green from its old site where the Royal Courts of Justice now stands. The congregation built a magnificent structure dominating one of the premier roads of Stroud Green. It was bigger and better than the Anglican church across the road. Religion was much more important in people's lives than today, 
belonging to a chapel involved regular worship and many also had football or tennis clubs. It was a whole way of life. Frederick Cleverly Chip was the son of Frederick and Louisa Chip, born on 19th of January 1897. He was baptised at New Court on 30th of October 1898 and lived here at 30 Upper Tollington Park. He had two half-sisters, one of whom, Madeline, married a local soldier, Arthur Whedon, who we will also meet on this tour. Fred was a printer before he joined the 7th City of London Battalion, London Regiment, at the age of 19 in 1916. This was a volunteer battalion of working men from the London suburbs. At first, the war had been very popular and young men flocked to join. The assumption was it would be over by Christmas. What an adventure. Going to France, having a break from the sometimes challenging or boring life here in Stroud Green. By 1916, it was clear that the war was not going well. Casualties and deaths were many, and the army was running out of men. Without antibiotics and modern intensive care, it could take months for shattered bodies to recover, and many did not make it. Poor Frederick was one of the unlucky ones. His war records show he was wounded at the Somme. He was shot in the left leg on the 7th of October, 1916, and contracted TB in France. He returned home, where he died on the 10th of July, 1920, aged 23, and is buried in Southend-on-Sea, where his family had connections. We'll now cycle along until we turn left into Florence Road. Upper Tollington Park was a continuation of Tollington Park, which was a medieval footpath before the railways brought developers to the area. Just as we turn into Florence Road, we see Ednam House on the corner with Upper Tollington Park. This block is on the site of 21 Florence Road. Stroud Green suffered greatly from bombing during the Second World War, as it was close to the main railway line to York, which would have been a target. We are now in the Hornsey part of Stroud Green, which became Haringey Borough in the 1960s. The border with Islington runs down Stroud Green Road. The Islington side developed earlier from Holloway from the 1860s and these three-storey Hornsey houses were built in the 1870s. Developers built a few streets at a time and many of them have names with royal associations. Victoria Road, Albert Road, Osborne Road. We can see from the 1911 census that eight people were living in 21 Florence Road, the Barrett family plus a couple of sister-in-laws. We are focusing on Robert, known as Bert, and Harold Barrett, who joined up at just 19 and 17 respectively. Bert enlisted in the Royal Medical Corps as a volunteer. His brother is believed to have served with the Royal Field Artillery as a gunner in France from September 1915. They were a lucky family as both brothers returned and a third brother was too young to fight. Robert had become involved with Newcourt in 1913. They returned to Florence Road immediately after the war, then moved and lived on through the Second World War, both married. Along Florence Road, they must have been envied. 
Their father, Benjamin, was a post office bagman, a sorter of post. At the time, the post office was the biggest employer in the world, employing a quarter of a million people and the largest economic enterprise in Britain. So it was a bit like working for the NHS today. Postal services grew rapidly after the introduction of a uniform post, costing just one old penny. And in both London and rural towns, people could expect up to 12 deliveries a day. So no email, but you weren't out of touch. You could post a letter in the morning inviting someone to tea and expect an answer that afternoon. Becoming a post office employee was a big badge of respectability. My grandfather was a postman and he rose to be head of Stratford Sorting Office in East London, which made my grandmother very proud. They met in the post office as she got employment there in 1916. 35,000 women were taken on to help with the extra posts the war caused. We'll learn more about that later. The post office and the railways were interconnected. The railways delivered huge amounts of mail around the country and there were special mail trains which would collect and deliver bags of mail hanging on hooks by the railway line so as not to stop and cause delay. They even had sorting offices in the trains. We are going to return to Upper Tollington Park. Turn left and then take the second left onto Oakfield Road. From here, you can see the entrance to Finsbury Park, designed by the Metropolitan Board of Works. The park opened in 1869 on the site of an earlier pleasure ground known as Hornsey Wood. The Victorians were very worried about infectious diseases like typhoid and cholera, just as we are today about COVID. Victorians thought that they were transmitted through bad air, so they created large parks in cities these parks have been very important to us in the last year during the pandemic. We're going to continue along Oakfield Road, where we'll cycle over a railway bridge. But before we do, we're going to stop briefly at the corner of Connaught Road. Conscription was needed in 1916 to ensure there were enough soldiers to withstand heavy casualties on the Western Front. It was unpopular with many. Some did not believe that the war was right. Others had strong moral, political or religious beliefs against taking life, especially if they came from non-conformist congregations like Newcourt. Conscription was passed into law by Parliament in 1916. We spoke to Dr Valerie Flossati, a member of the Haringey First World War Peace Forum, to find out more about conchies as they were known. The Military Service Act of 1916 allowed people to apply for exemption under seven different headings, such as hardship, and for the first time one of them was a conscience clause, which allowed a man who disagreed with killing in war to avoid military service by getting an absolute exemption. The tribunals before which they had to appear were very strict, and very few exemptions were given in practice. Often, 
men were assigned to a non-combatant corps of the army, which meant they had to do everything short of using weapons and killing people. But other common verdicts included being asked to do work of national importance or medical work with the Friends Ambulance Unit. And this meant accepting specific work as an alternative to being a fighting soldier. But there were also many conscientious objectors who refused these decisions and they became known as absolutists because they wanted absolutely nothing to do with the war. Often they went to prison. They were often treated very harshly. They were put on a bread and water diet. They were often beaten up. So it was a very difficult choice. They were ridiculed and isolated. And there was very little sympathy for them in the general public because people regarded them as cowards. Finsbury Park was the main area for demonstrations against conscription in North London. In Connaught Road, there were seven COs at three houses. The five Walker brothers, clerks and commercial artists, all single, aged between 33 and 21, lived at 17 Connaught Road. All five refused to answer call-up papers, respond to any military orders or undress for medicals when they were taken to Mill Hill Barracks for enlistment into the non-combatant corps. All five were at one stage or another arrested, court-martialed or given prison sentences with hard labour. There were also two Goss brothers who lived in the same road who underwent hardship. Isaac Goss was an activist in the main campaigning organisation, the No Conscription Fellowship, and a thorn in the side of the local Hornsey Tribunal. Not far away in Wood Green lived Albert Ashpole, a carpenter by trade. His brother, William Ashpole, is one of the soldiers commemorated by the organ at St Melitus. Albert was a conscientious objector who refused to be conscripted in 1916. In August of that year, he went before a local tribunal, claiming that going to war would bring about serious hardship owing to his exceptional domestic situation. He was in his mid-thirties and had two young children at the time. The local tribunal rejected his claim and his appeal application to have his case heard by the central tribunal was also refused. We're not sure what Albert's fate was. There's some evidence that suggests he was sent to prison. I wonder what his brother William thought of his decision. In the 1920s, pacifism became much more acceptable as people looked back at the horrors of trench warfare and felt betrayed. Now we are going to take the next right up Stapleton Hall Road. We're going to stop near the top at number 147, just before Stroud Green and Haringey Library. Number 147, Stapleton Hall Road, was the home of Norman Edwin Heaven in 1915 when he joined up. He was born on the 30th of June 1897 and baptised at Newcourt Church the same year. As a child, he lived with his parents, Edwin Frank Heaven and Agnes Amelia Heaven, and his four older siblings, Sidney, Arthur, Winifred and Elsie, at 106 Whiteman Road, just on the other side of the railway bridge at Haringey Station. Norman's father, Edwin, was treasurer at New Court. 
He is one of the signatories on the organ contract signed in 1919. He sent his son to the Stationer's School, a prestigious school in Crouch End, which we will visit shortly. Norman was a bank clerk at Barclays before joining the 16th Battalion, the London Regiment Territorial Force, in November 1915, when he was just 18. He served with the British Expeditionary Force in France and Flanders from July 1916. On the 1st of October 1916, he was wounded on the Somme and on recovery, after a period of training back in England at Bisley and Grantham, was made a second lieutenant in the 66th Battalion Machine Gun Corps in September 1917. He returned to France in October and was killed in action at Tompleur, Somme, northern France, on the 21st of March 1918. He was just 21 years old. His commanding officer wrote, I may say that I regarded him as a capable and promising young officer who was greatly esteemed by his men. And one of his men recalled he was a gentleman to all and liked by everyone and stuck to his gun until the end. Norman is also remembered in the Barclays Bank Book of Remembrance. In 2008, Barclays commissioned new stone tablets to accompany the memorial books and these are on display at the bank's head office, 1 Churchill Place, Canary Wharf. Norman's older brother, Arthur Durant Heaven, is also commemorated by the organ at St Melitus. Unlike his brother, he did return home and lived until 1973. Now we're going to continue on round to Mountview Road and then along until we reach the junction with Granville Road. Granville Court on the corner replaced an earlier congregational church here, but as the numbers shrank, the congregation demolished the building in 1935 and sold the land. It shows how after the First World War, the tight-knit religious communities declined. There were now other activities to keep people busy on a Sunday, like going to the cinema. The other reason for stopping here is to look at the post box on the corner. This would have been crucial for keeping in touch with soldier sons and husbands. Deliveries dropped to one or two a day, but the volume of mail was huge. Soldiers at the front posted and collected mail from field post offices, which could have been tents or sometimes no more than a table. A letter could be sent from England and arrive at the Western Front in two days. By the end of 1914, all mail bound for troops on the Western Front was sorted at the London Home Depot. Chris Taft is Head of Collections at the Postal Museum. We visited him to find out more about it. Suddenly the post office was having to deliver letters to a world at war, while at the same time losing many of their highly skilled postal workers. So the, the people who worked for the service for a long time, who were familiar with how to sort letters, were going off to fight in the war in many cases. One of the ways that the post office adapted to what was going on was to set up new temporary sorting facilities. And so a new temporary sorting office was built in the Regent's Park. It started off relatively modest-sized building and gradually grew and grew to eventually cover about five acres of Regent's Park. One of the records in the archives that we hold at the Postal Museum suggests that it was the largest wooden building in the world at the time. 
you couldn't write to someone at a particular place. So instead you wrote to the soldier or the sailor at their military unit and it was the job of the postal workers in what became known as the Home Depot at Regent's Park to actually determine where those soldiers were and send the letters to the, the appropriate destination. At the peak of the First World War in about 1917, there was something like 12 million items a week going through the Home Depot of letters and something like a, a million parcels going through. By the end of the First World War, women were essentially running a great part of the Home Depot working for the Army Postal Service. So it was a really important job and they were privy to some really top secret information. Cycle up Granville Road and if you glimpse through the trees, you should be able to see Alexandra Palace. During the First World War, the palace served as a giant internment camp for enemy aliens, not soldiers, but civilians who had lived in London and often had done for decades. German bakers and workmen, Hungarian waiters and Austrian musicians, all found themselves locked up together for an uncertain period. The park was closed to the public and surrounded by barbed wire. Now turn right on Ridge Road and go along to Denton Road, that's second on the left, and stop at the top outside number two. The parents of two brothers commemorated at St Melitus lived at 2 Denton Road. Both sons went to war and only one came back home to live out his life here. Arthur James Whedon was an insurance clerk who served as a gunner in the Royal Garrison Artillery and died on the 23rd of January 1917 when he was only 34 years old. It appears that he was accidentally run down by an Army Service Corps vehicle. The family were well connected to New Court as he married Madeline Chip, whose brother Frederick we met earlier in Upper Tollington Park. Like Frederick Chip, who is buried in South End, Arthur is commemorated on a plaque in the town. His widow Madeline got married again in 1920 at St Andrew's Anglican Church in Alexandra Park Road to James Edward Mackey, a rate collector and overseer. They moved to Elgin Road near Alexandra Park. Even going a couple of miles away meant that she was not enduring daily memories of family losses. She would have no doubt visited Arthur's brother Stanley, five years younger, who served in the Royal Navy and had his own remarkable war story. He was part of a Royal Naval Volunteer Reserve Battalion that in 1914 was commandeered by Winston Churchill to defend the city of Antwerp and in trying to escape the advancing German army faced the choice of surrendering or marching to neutral Holland. They chose the latter option and were among more than 1,500 British servicemen who spent the war at what became known as the English camp in the Dutch city of Groningen. After the war, Stanley returned to Denton Road and lived there until he died in 1963. Let's move on. We are going to go back to Ridge Road, turn right and then take the next right onto Mayfield Road and cycle halfway down to see a chapel building now converted into flats. 
The Stationers are a livery company in the City of London. They have an ancient history starting as manuscript writers and illuminators who decided to concentrate their efforts and set up stores or stations around St Paul's Cathedral. Because of this, they were given the nickname Stationers, and this was the obvious choice of name for the guild they established in 1403. They are still going strong today. Many livery companies set up schools, and this one started as the Stationers Company Foundation School. In 1861, it was established at Bolt Court near Fleet Street. In 1891, it moved to Mayfield Road in Hornsey with a magnificent new building up at the top between Mayfield and Denton Roads. In the 1900s, you had to come from a respectable and prosperous family to attend here, and it was where Norman Heaven went to school. After the war in 1922, the school installed its own organ and panels in memory of schoolboys who had lost their lives. All over the country, people were fundraising for war memorials. The government took the decision early on not to allow the repatriation of bodies, as only richer families would have been able to afford this. Instead, war cemeteries were created in France and other countries. But people needed to mourn. Without a body, this was hard. War memorials were really community-inspired, bottom-up creations. The school is no longer there. In the 1960s, Haringey moved to a comprehensive system and eventually the school was no longer needed and demolished in the 1980s, apart from this chapel. Sadly, some of the war memorials were lost, but an active old boys association keeps memories alive. And in its place, we have a lovely park named after the school and now a primary school. We're now going to cycle back up to Ridge Road and turn right. Don't worry, it's okay to get off and push. Cross over Fern Park Road and go into Dashwood Road. Stop at the corner with Wormsley Road. Here you can see St Peter in Chains. St Peter's in Chains is a Catholic church with a long association with St Melitus. Catholics were only socially accepted in England from the early 19th century. Before that, their churches were private and hidden. In the 1850s, a Catholic order managed to buy a pub at auction, bidding anonymously to build a church on Highgate Hill. There were local protests afterwards, but eventually the magnificent St Joseph's was built with its huge green dome visible all over London. The respectable Catholics of Stroud Green wanted their own church. A red brick church in a Gothic style was completed in 1902 and a memorial window dedicated to parishioners killed in the war was added in May 1920. The order opened a chapel in 1925 at 140 Tonnington Park Road, then a temporary building in Everly Street dedicated to St Melitus, the first Bishop of London. In 1959, the Westminster Roman Catholic Diocese purchased the New Court Church to cope with their expanding numbers and renamed the building St Melitus. The New Court congregation moved round the corner to a new building on Regina Road. Now, like the wider community of Stroud Green, the parish of St Melitus is multicultural, with parishioners of African, 
Latin American, African Caribbean and Irish heritage and many other places too. And now we're going on to our final stop. Continue past St Peter's along Wormsley Road and then turn right onto Mountview Road. We're going to cycle down Mount Pleasant Villas and turn right into Mount Pleasant Crescent after the railway bridge. Stop at number 14, Mount Pleasant Crescent to hear the story of Alfred and Percival Alford. We're here to find out about a pair of serving brothers who were both treated in the same hospital, but only one of them survived. Alfred Victor Alfred was born in Islington on the 30th of April, 1897. In childhood, he lived in Holloway with his parents, William and Rosa, and his four siblings. At the age of 16, Alfred went to Australia as a farm boy, arriving on the 15th of January, 1914. By 1915, his parents were living at 14 Mount Pleasant Road, now Mount Pleasant Crescent, in Stroud Green. Alfred enlisted in Melbourne on the 10th of November 1914. He became a private in the 5th Battalion of the Australian Infantry. So he would have fought in the Gallipoli campaign, a disaster for the Allies. In December 1915, his battalion returned to Egypt to defend the Suez Canal before being sent to the Western Front to fight in the Battle of the Somme as part of the new 54th Battalion. Alfred experienced illness throughout the war and died on the 26th of April 1918 in a hospital in Rouen, France, from the effects of gas poisoning. He was just four days shy of his 21st birthday. Unbeknown to Alfred, his brother Percy, who was in the Royal Flying Corps, was in the same Rouen hospital, also convalescing after a gas attack. Percy did not find out about his brother's death until he rejoined his squadron a few weeks later. The Australian service records contain three touching letters written in 1916 and 1917 by Miss Lucy Moore of Port Ferry, a coastal town in Victoria, to the authorities asking for an address for Alfred as he had not written to her. Sadly, they also contain a letter she wrote in July 1920 with a plea for the authorities to let her know if Alfred has come back to Australia. The officer replying gives her the sad news that Alfred died over two years previously and his next of kin in England had been informed. It appears that Alfred's parents had not known of Lucy. Sometime after July 1917, Mr and Mrs Alfred moved from Stroud Green to New Barnet. Alfred's mother, Rosa, died in 1920, before probate was settled in Australia, so she never received the money, 12 pounds, three old shillings and a penny, from Alfred's Commonwealth Savings Bank in Australia, which he had left her in his will. Alfred is buried and commemorated in the St Sever Cemetery Extension at Rouen. Alfred's brothers, Delbridge, Percy and Albert, all served and all three survived the war, but only Percy is to be found on the plaque in St Melitus Church. 
Percy was working as a junior clerk in a firm of packing case manufacturers when war broke out on the 4th of August 1914. He was quick to enlist at Mill Hill later that month, saying he was older than he was, and he joined the army aged just 16. He became a private in the 6th Battalion Duke of Cambridge's own Middlesex Regiment Army Reserve. Later in life, he wrote it was a shock to be among a rough lot of men. Many of them could not read or write. In June 1915, Percy's father wrote to the army saying Percy had enlisted without parental approval, which was necessary for those under 17, and asked, as he was entitled to do, for his discharge. Percy was discharged from the army on the 1st of July 1915, but by October the same year he had enlisted in the Royal Flying Corps. In contrast to the army, the Royal Flying Corps was, he wrote later, full of nice young men, chaps about my age, and he was paid double the rate of the army, 14 shillings a week. Percy was home on leave for Christmas in 1916 when his brother Alfred visited. After Christmas, Alfred saw Percy off at Waterloo on his return to training. That was the last time Percy saw his brother. In later life, Percy was a taxi driver. His granddaughter Prue, who now lives in Queensland, Australia, sent us this audio clip from a cassette recording of Percy reminiscing about one of his fares, the famous music hall star, Gracie Fields. I hope you enjoyed that. That brings back memories to me. Your mother would have liked that. I often carried Gracie in the old taxi years ago. You once, my mother and I, your mother and I once went to the Palladium to see her. And we had a thoroughly good evening that time. Certainly does bring back memories. Prue still has Alfred's bronze World War I memorial plaque, colloquially known as a dead man's penny. The government sent these commemorative plaques to the families of soldiers who died in the war. All bore the inscription, he died for freedom and honour. We will end our tour by cycling down Victoria Road to Upper Tollington. Turn right carefully to meet the junction with Stroud Green Road and back to where we started the tour. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you'd like to find out more about the soldiers commemorated by the organ, explore the soldiers database and meet the soldier blog posts on the project website at www.stmelitisorgan.co.uk where you'll also find another pod tour about the musical history of Stroud Green to download and enjoy. <laughs>